Back in the day when my girls were born, it was not easy to share photos and videos with loved ones, but you have a fantastic option available, the Family Album app. The Family Album app was created in 2015 and has operated in the long term to give parents a secure and easy way to share photos and videos with loved ones. It's a totally secure personal haven for your family's memories. I love that there's no third-party ads, no unwanted eyes. Now, let me share some of the great features that make the Family Album app a go-to app. First off, the app automatically sorts photos and videos by month, allowing you to swipe back in time and see how your child has grown. No more scrolling through endless feeds or searching through folders. Another cool feature about the Family Album app is you can order eight free photo prints every month to be delivered to your home. It's really nice to have some tangible pictures to hold onto or share to document each month of your baby's life. Plus, the Family Album app has unlimited storage and it is totally free. Yes, you heard that right. No more worrying about running out of space or being bombarded by ads when you're just trying to relive those heartwarming moments. So if you are still trying to use other messaging apps for your kids' photos, it is time to level up your family photo game with a free photo sharing app. Head over to the App Store today, search Family Album, it's all one word, download the app and start creating a legacy of love one photo at a time. Don't let diaper rash come between you and your baby. Diaper rash can be one of the worst experiences your little one has to go through and keeping their delicate skin happy and healthy shouldn't require a spatula to apply thick, goopy treatments that can be just as irritating and uncomfortable as the diaper rash. Instead, try Dr. Mom Butt Balm. Dr. Mom Butt Balm is a pediatrician approved skin protectant free of dyes, preservatives, and zinc oxide. It was developed by a mom who is also a doctor when she couldn't find any traditional products that worked for her baby's persistent diaper rash. Use just a small amount of Dr. Mom Butt Balm to help soothe your baby's skin and feel good about making the right choice. Nothing comes between you and your baby, not even diaper rash. Check out Dr. Mom Butt Balm, available on Amazon or walmart.com. This is the episode I wish I would have had when I had a preemie baby. Welcome to the All About Pregnancy and Birth podcast. I'm Dr. Nicole Calloway-Rankins, a practicing board-certified OBGYN who's had the privilege of helping hundreds of moms bring their babies into this world. I'm here to help you be knowledgeable, prepared, confident and empowered to have a beautiful pregnancy and birth. Quick note, this podcast is for educational purposes only and is not a substitute for medical advice. Check out the full disclaimer at ncrcoaching.com forward slash disclaimer. Now let's get to it. Well, hello, hello. Welcome to another episode of the podcast. This is episode number 76. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for spending a bit of your time with me today. In today's episode, we have Dr. Terry Major Kincaid. She is a double board certified neonatologist and pediatrician. She's been practicing in the North Dallas area for the past 17 years and for the past three years has actually been practicing nationally in three different states. Dr. Terry specializes in health disparities, physician-parent communication, high-risk infant follow-up, and neonatal palliative care and perinatal hospice. Friends and family affectionately call her Dr. Boo, and her biggest passion is giving families the gift of hope. For those of you who may not know, my first daughter was a preemie. She was born eight weeks premature at 32 weeks. She had a rare intestinal malformation called duodenal atresia. She had to have surgery three days after she was born, and she spent a month in the NICU. 
She is, of course, a healthy, happy 12-year-old now. However, that month in the NICU was one of the hardest months of my life. And I mean it when I say that the information in this episode is exactly what I wish I would have known to help me get through that challenging time. So in this episode, you are going to learn the most common reasons babies are admitted to the NICU, what parents can expect when their baby is admitted to the NICU, how families can advocate for themselves and their baby when the baby's in the NICU, what happens after baby leaves the NICU, and then we end with some advice on how to manage having a new baby in the age of COVID. Now, nobody, of course, plans to have their baby go to the NICU, but you want to be prepared for the possibility just in case. And this episode alone is exactly what you need to help you be prepared for that small possibility of that NICU stay. Now, speaking of being prepared for possibilities, part of my beautiful birth prep process within my online childbirth education class, the birth preparation course, part of my process is getting ready for the possibilities that may happen during your labor and birth. There's a whole module on labor induction, augmentation, cesarean birth, vacuum, forceps, episiotomy, some common complications that may happen during birth. And it's not overwhelming. It's just enough information so that you are prepared just in case. You can check out the entire birth preparation course at ncrcoaching.com forward slash enroll. It is currently quite heavily discounted because of COVID. I want to be sure that the course is accessible for most. So you can check that out at ncrcoaching.com forward slash enroll. All right, let's get into today's episode with Dr. Terry Major Kincaid. so much, Dr. Terry, for agreeing to be on the podcast. I am so, so excited to have you here. I'm super excited to be here. Yes, I, you know, neonatologist, and I have a, a soft spot, of course, for a neonatologist. My first daughter was a 32-week preemie, and um, just something special about NICU folks, so. I don't think I knew that. Well, I always say OBs are my besties. Yeah. <laughs> so. There you go. <laughs> so why don't we start off by having you tell us a little bit about yourself and your work and your family? Sure. Um, hey, everybody. Um, I'm Dr. Terry Major Kincaid. I'm based in Dallas, Texas. I've been practicing neonatology for 20 years. I'm actually entering my 21st year. Um, I love it. My sister was a premature baby born in 1968. Oh, she wow. was not to survive. Yeah, she was a 26-weeker born weighing one pound in 1968. And my parents told she would make it through the night. And so she they didn't even name her for the first month because they weren't sure she was going to make it. So my sister's 51 now, and I'm 52. And so she she made it. And so she is the reason why I wanted to be a neonatologist. I always wanted to be the kind of doctor that held the babies that could fit in the palm of your hand. And so I always credit her with my uh, career. So I'm based here in Dallas as a neonatologist. As uh, most of you guys know, I take care of premature babies. That's what people usually think of. But I also take care of big term babies that may be sick and have to come to the ICU nursery as well. I additionally practice neonatology uh, in Nevada as well as South Carolina and Georgia. My other passion in neonatology is high-risk infant follow-up. I uh, ran a follow-up clinic for many years. I love seeing the preemies when they leave the nursery. And I also do palliative care and perinatal hospice because I often have to meet families whose babies may not survive. I've been married uh, 26 years. We just celebrated our 26th wedding anniversary. Oh, happy anniversary. Thank you. My husband has hung in there with me since medical school, and we have two children. Um, they are uh, 19 and 22 in college and in vet school. So uh, my life's pretty full. Um, I'm still doing what I always wanted to do, take care of parents and preemies. I always say neonatology is not the care of preemies, it's the care of families. True. So yeah, that is um, 
what really keeps me going. And that's what motivates me to do my job, really taking care of families so that I can take care of their babies. Well, you do it all, it sounds like. I mean, (laughs) my goodness, you're in three states. You uh, have done follow-up clinics. You're in the NICU. So you are the perfect person to help women understand what it's like to have a NICU baby. Yay. Yeah, absolutely. And also, I'm glad you shared, um, Dr. Nicole, about your experience um, having a preemie because I I always say to families in the NICU, both of my children were uh, the product of normal pregnancies. So I feel like the NICU parents are really my best teachers. They are my best teachers and my sister, my friends who've gone through it. So I learned so much from parents. I do. My son does have some special needs, so I know a little bit about what it's like to take care of a child with challenges. Um, but I absolutely don't know what it's like to have my birth experience interrupted. Gotcha. Gotcha. Well, as you said, you know plenty about what happens, though, with babies in the NICU. You've been doing this for a long time. And when you look at her, if, when you guys see her picture, she does not look like she's been doing this for this long. <laughs> <laughs> So why don't we start off with giving folks a little bit of understanding or what are the most common reasons a baby may be admitted to the NICU? Good question. So um, the most common reason that babies come to the ICU nursery is because they are premature. And certainly in this day and age, everybody's seen a story on TV about a miracle baby, a one pound baby. There was just a story about the smallest baby ever. The baby was like 13 ounces um, to survive. So that's what people usually think of. But I think um, your audience probably uh, would be surprised to find out that half of the babies in the ICU nursery at any given time actually aren't that premature. They may only be one month early, a few weeks early, uh, two months early. They may even be five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten 10 pounds. So the second and third most common reasons for coming to the NICU outside of prematurity are one, if you're a term baby, you may come to the NICU just because you had a little trouble breathing. You had a little fluid in your lungs. A lot of babies will have a transitional period, have some issues with breathing that's actually quite normal, but it may take a while to get through that. And so the baby may have to come to the ICU nursery for monitoring. So breathing for a term baby, transitional problems with breathing. And then another really common reason that a lot of term babies come to the ICU nursery is for jaundice. A lot of babies have yellow jaundice. Uh, A lot of people call it yellow jaundice. That's when the bilirubin or the old, the breakdown products of old red blood cells are in our blood. All babies have that. All humans have that. Every human went through jaundice at birth and it usually uh, resolves itself over the first three to five days. But for some babies, because they're not getting enough fluid, they're not eating enough, they may have extra red blood cells, their jaundice numbers may be too high. And so they may come to the ICU nursery for treatment for that. And then the last thing is infection. So if mom has a fever, um, and you deal with this, Dr. Nicole, if mom has a fever and the obstetrician thinks that mom may have an infection, that's called chorioamnitis. So those babies may come to the ICU nursery just because we're monitoring to make sure the baby doesn't have a fever. So just to recap, so premature, 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 even two weeks early. So sometimes people will say, but we're 36 weeks. But that's still early. And so prematurity, breathing problems like fluid in the lungs or issues with that, or infection. Mom had an infection or sometimes if baby has an infection. And then the other uh, bigger group of term babies may come just because they have some type of birth defect. They need surgery. They may have a heart problem, stomach problem, intestinal problem you know, that where they may require surgery for something. So. Gotcha. Got my, my, my preemie also had duodenal latresia actually. Really? So, mm-hmm. <laughs> oh, did you, wait, did you know prior to delivery or? I, I did. And we were expecting that she was going to be full term, but she busted out early. <laughs> oh, wow. So she hadn't thought about that. So yeah, sometimes we will get surprises where babies will need surgeries too. And they're preemie. Yep. Yep. I had both. I had both. She's a very healthy, happy 12 year old now. So yeah. 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 Um, and you know what? We forgot to say basics. Like what does NICU stand for? I'm so glad you said that. So, um, because depending on whether you're in the United States or outside of the United, like if you're in the UK, they pronounce it NICU. I just learned this a couple of years ago. NICU. But, um, N-I-C-U stands for neonatal intensive care unit neonatal intensive care unit. And so the short term for that would just be neonatal um, ICU, or sometimes I just say ICU nursery. 
Um, you have to be careful when you're calling the hospital. Sometimes if you just say NICU, they may transfer you to the neurosurgery ICU. <laughs> That's big people getting uh, their brains addressed. So neonatal ICU. So parents will usually just say NICU. Or if you're in the UK, you say NICU. And sometimes, like more recently, I just say ICU nursery because um, for a lot of people, that just brings it home for them. So I am their babies who are sick who have to be in an ICU. So neonatal ICU. Perfect, perfect. Did you know that 95% of pregnant women are not getting their recommended daily intake of key omega-3s? Enter Ritual, their prenatal contains 350 milligrams of eco-friendly vegan omega-3 DHA in every serving. One of the reasons I like Ritual is that it's a female-founded B Corp, meaning they are holding themselves accountable to not just their company's financial health, but also the health of people and our planet. In addition to those omega-3 DHAs to support baby's brain development, Ritual also has choline and methylated folate to support baby's neural tube development. And the capsules feature a delayed release design to help make it gentle on an empty stomach. Why settle for a multivitamin you're not 100% sure about? Ritual was literally built on trust, so you know it's the real deal. Get 25% off your first month for a limited time at ritual.com forward slash Dr. Nicole. Start Ritual or add Essential for Women Prenatal to your subscription today. That's ritual.com forward slash Dr. Nicole for 25% off. Now, most folks are not expecting that their baby is going to go to the NICU. So what should um, family, moms, parents, families do when they first learn that their baby is going to go to the NICU? What can they expect? Oh, my gosh. So Dr. Nicole, I always say um, when I go and meet a family, like my job is meeting people every day who do not want to meet me. They did not want to meet me. They were not didn't see me. They didn't sign up for this. They may think I'm really nice, but they don't want to see me again because I am coming into the room to say, hey, I'm a neonatologist. I take care of premature babies. I take care of sick babies. Looks like your baby needs to come to the NICU. So the first thing um, parents should expect um, if they have a baby that may be coming to the ICU nursery is this is going to be a disruption of your birth experience. It's going to be a change in everything you plan for. This is gonna be different than what we had anticipated because you have to kind of grieve all the things that you had planned for before somebody came and told you they were taking your baby to the ICU nursery. And I think that we as caregivers need to realize it's a big deal. Parents understand, hey, my baby's sick. My baby needs to be over there, but that doesn't mean that they don't get to grieve the loss of what they had planned for. That's a really important point. It's a big deal. People go, well, don't they? I'm like, yeah, of course they understand. But that doesn't mean that they don't get to grieve what they have planned and hoped for. Because if you have a baby two or three months early, you're still thinking about your baby shower. You're still thinking about what you wanted to do with the nursery. You're still thinking about the photos. So it's thinking about all of that stuff. And now you're having to deal with the fact that your child may be sick. So that's the first thing I would say. The second thing I would say is to recognize that most people have no idea what you're going through. Most people don't, unless they too have been in an ICU nursery. So you will have friends and family who will share their experiences and things that they did, but unless they've been in an ICU nursery, your experience is going to be different and that's okay. Number three, the lay of the land. I think the number one thing most parents should recognize when they enter into an ICU nursery is that we have rules and protocols there that are designed for the best care of your baby. And they may not be designed for the best support of our families. <laughs> we want to support our family, <laughs> but if we got to choose between the family and the baby, we're going to defer to the baby. And um, I think the biggest example of that is the NICU is the only place in terms of mother-baby bonding where we get to tell you when you're going to hold your baby. We tell you when you're going to hold your baby. How often are you going to hold your baby? How often are you going to see your baby? Now, that's crazy. It's your baby. Right. <laughs> it is your baby. And so that's the first big hurdle, moms and dads out there, um, is that we have rules in place 
that are designed for the best care of your baby. Uh, we want the same thing you want. We want your baby to get better and to get home as soon as possible. And sometimes these rules don't make sense. So one, um, your birth experience is gonna be disrupted. If you have friends and family who haven't been in the NICU, they have no idea. And three, the actual bonding is somewhat controlled by our rules and protocols. So in the beginning, if the baby's really sick, um, especially if the baby has an IV in the umbilical cord, you're not gonna be able to hold the baby. You'll be able to touch the baby, talk to the baby, but you won't necessarily be able to hold the baby. If the baby's very sick, needing a lot of oxygen, you may have to wait to hold your baby. And I actually have families now that I have been in touch with 20 years, and even 20 years, they can tell you, oh, my baby was two weeks before I got to hold them. My baby was three weeks and two and four hours when I got to hold them. Every NICU mom remembers when they got to first hold their baby. So I think that those are the big things to understand. But then once you move those big things out in your day-to-day -day visit, just recognize that even though your baby's there, and even though you're in an environment where there are rules in place, you still are the parent. I don't consider you a visitor. Parents are part of our medical team and you can be an advocate for your baby. And so once you move past the, okay, my baby's here, I'm gonna have to deal with this. Hopefully um, we won't be here that long. Hopefully my baby will um, get through this just fine. But while I'm here every day, I can still be an advocate for my baby. And there are several ways that we can uh, help you to be advocates for your baby because you are part of the medical team. I love this. And we're going to get into how parents can advocate for themselves. But just thinking back, my God, I wish somebody would have told me in that moment that give me that space to grieve the loss of what I was expecting was going to happen. Yes. I mean, it's a big deal, especially Moms will be going along, chugging along. Okay, my baby's here. Okay, I'm pumping. I'm providing breast milk. Okay, I got to hold my baby. I got to change a diaper. And then boom, it'll be the day that was supposed to be your baby shower. Or boom, it'll be your actual due date and you're still in the NICU. And so those are anniversaries that moms have that we're not always aware of. Uh, but we need to be in sync with moms and dads as they're navigating this new journey. Absolutely. And the fact that you said like the whole lay of the land piece and why that makes a difference, again, a really crucial point. And I just love how you're helping families understand those things up front. Yes. I usually have a, when I meet parents the first day in the NICU, Dr. Nicole, even if they the baby was admitted the night before, I always say, Welcome to the NICU. Congratulations. You became a mom and dad today. Because often many people have said, oh my God, this is so sad. This is so horrible. You're in the NICU. Well, they're here. They're still a parent. Nothing has changed in terms of them being a parent who has a child. And other people get to celebrate the birth of their children. But NICU parents often have to hold their breaths um, for many, many days before they can actually exhale and sigh and count fingers and toes and be excited. So I always say that. Um, and then in terms of the lay of the land, we go through the equipment. It's a lot of bells. It's a lot of whistles. It's a lot of little people in plastic boxes. The noises don't even bother us. We're in the NICU all the time. But if you've never been in a NICU, <laughs> it can be quite noisy and a little stressful. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, I can tell already you are just a blessing, a gift to the families you care for, because you truly do look out for, for everyone and everyone's well-being. I try to. I say I'm a pediatrician trapped in a neonatologist's body. <laughs> <laughs> oh, goodness. So let's talk about things that families can do to advocate for themselves and their baby in the NICU. Yeah. So one nice thing um, about the way NICUs have evolved is that many, many um, neonatal ICUs now have very family-friendly environments. I'm, I'm not quite sure about how your experience was, Dr. Nicole, but many uh, NICUs now have family-friendly environments. Many NICUs have private rooms, like all the rooms are private rooms. And one big thing that's happened in terms of family-centered care is many NICUs have bedside rounds now. So number one way you can advocate for your, your child in the NICU is find out uh, once your child is there when the medical team is actually rounding when the medical team is rounding. So when is the doctor, the nurse practitioner, the physician assistant, charge nurse, everybody, when are they gonna be rounding? Because if you can be there when they round, 
that's the best way to get an update about your child. You can take notes and ask more detailed questions later, but that's one good way. Now, obviously, if you have a baby that's going to be in the ICU nursery a while, once you go back to work, if rounds are in the morning from 10 to 12, you're not going to be able to do that. Um, but while you're home on maternity leave or when the baby is first born, you should be able to do that. Second thing is find out if your NICU has webcams. So a lot of NICUs now have webcams. I worked in 20 different NICUs and um, 10 of them, 11 now, 11 of them have webcams and many of them have websites where you can log in and you can actually see your baby. You can see the care. You can see uh, what's going on. You can see the nurses providing the care, even if you can't be there at the bedside. And grandparents can see them too if you give them um, permission to do so. Three, for moms who are planning to breastfeed, uh, breastfeeding is really, in my opinion, providing breast milk is the single most important thing you can do, particularly for an extremely premature baby, because the uh, benefits of breast milk are things that I cannot give your child. We consider breast milk medicine. And so even though you won't be able to directly breastfeed initially because the baby may be too sick, if you're planning to, you can still pump. You can still pump and provide the milk and it'll give them antibodies and it'll um, help them regain their birth weight faster. They get more protein. There are a lot of benefits. Now, not every mom can provide breast milk and that's fine. If you have a very premature baby, we actually can provide donor breast milk with your permission. Uh, four, kangaroo care. Kangaroo yes. care. Kangaroo care. It's my favorite thing, especially when the dads do it. So yeah. when you hear kangaroo, you know, kangaroos carry their babies in their pouches. They're little joeys. They carry them in their pouches. So kangaroo care um, is skin to skin uh, care that the baby does with the mom or the dad. It's chest to chest, skin to skin. Your heart rate regulates the baby's heart rate. Your temperature regulates the baby's temperature. Babies that kangaroo care actually gain their birth weight faster. They have less complications. They have less episodes where they have apnea and they um, go home sooner. And so it's actually very good for parental bonding. So even when your baby is really little, not able to take a bottle yet or not able to breastfeed yet, you can do skin to skin as soon as they're medically stable. And that's one of my uh, favorite things. So in terms of advocating, just to summarize, try to figure out when the bedside rounds are. That's the best way to get the overall updates for your baby. If you can't be there for the rounds, figure out the best time to check in with your uh, medical care provider each day. I mean, really, you should be hearing from them each day, sometimes not a lot has changed, but you should be hearing each day. You'll feel empowered if you know the plan. And usually when I share the plan, I, I try to share what I'm anticipating and what I would be worried about. Second thing is find out um, when you can do the kangaroo care. And then if you can, if you if it was your desire to breastfeed, if you can continue to provide the breast milk. Um, and then most NICU, oh, the webcams, webcams and websites. And most NICUs have support groups now, but even if they don't have a direct support group in your NICU, there are many, many online uh, support groups. One of my favorites is Hand to Hold, where they can partner you with uh, a virtual preemie mom who, or uh, not necessarily preemie, a mom who has had a child who's gone through the same thing that you're going through. And I find that moms who have been through this provide the best support uh, for families. Oh, this, let me just, and then this last thing. You yeah, guys. yeah, please, please. You said, um, so all of the things I talked about in terms of advocating for your baby, I'm talking about in the actual NICU, but you also have to advocate for your baby by advocating for yourself. So that means it's okay not to be in the NICU. It's okay not to be there 24 hours. It's okay if you go home to sleep. It's okay to go out and eat and you know, go to the movies or see your girlfriends or drink some water. We can't now because of COVID, but you have to take care of yourself. And so every mommy knows that we give so much to our kids. Every dad knows that, but we have to take time for ourselves so that we can um, be the best for our babies. And NICU moms in particular have a lot of guilt um, about not being in the NICU. They have a lot of guilt leaving the hospital. Your body physically knows that you have had your baby and you're leaving the hospital without your baby. Your mind knows why your baby's there, but your body, NICU moms tend to carry a little guilt there. So make sure you take care of yourself too. Dr. Terry, you know, you have said a whole word right there. <laughs> 
I mean, I still remember we went to visit our daughter every day, twice a day while she was there. And one day we missed. And I still feel bad for that one day that we didn't go twice, you know? So bad. And, you know, my very first hospital that I worked at, um, when I moved into private practice, the uh, NICU had something called date night for the parents once a month. It was when the NICU was closed from the, at that particular hospital, the NICU would be closed from 6 p.m. to 8 p.m. for the change of shift. And from 6 p.m. to 8 p.m., the parents could come to the doctor's dining. It was the regular the doctor's dining lounge, but they converted it to like a, to look like a restaurant for parents. And the NICU nurses would serve them. They had aprons and little chef hats and they got to have a little gourmet meal with candle and a rose like while the NICU was closed oh that's nice and I loved it I I loved it but yeah parents have a lot of guilt they just really feel bad if they're not there all the time for their babies and I mean we feel that even even those of us who don't have babies in the NICU like we have guilt about our parents our children that continue my kids are 19 and 21 I'm still trying to figure out what I could have done differently when they were in junior high so sure. <laughs> Yeah. So I, I, and you know, I love how NICUs are very open to having family. I mean, you can really go in almost 20, like 22 out of 24 hours of the day. You can't. And most of my NICUs now don't, they're not closed at all. We, it's 24 hour visitation, not even for change of shift. A few now an hour, but a lot of mine is 24 hours um, to allow the parents to come on whenever it's convenient for them. Yeah. And I tell them, I'm like, y'all, they mean it. If you roll up at two o'clock in the morning, they'll just be like, hey, come on in. (laughs) They do. We love it because once you get comfortable, we, I mean, I love it when the parents come in and they, they know when to come. Oh, we didn't mention this touch times in terms of getting the lay of the land. um, When you're coming to visit your baby in the NICU, you can visit your baby whenever you want, but once your baby is stable, the hands-on time, we try to cluster that every three hours because every three hours, the baby's going to eat, need a diaper change, have the temperature um, taken. And what I love is when the parents come in and they're comfortable now. So the parents actually will come in and say, hey, I changed the diaper. I took the temperature. You know, they do it themselves and they just let the nurses know. So that is what I love. So sometimes the touch times, that is hard for parents to get used to because if your baby eats at 9 and 12, but then you come at 10 and your baby's already eaten, you know, that can be a little stressful. But as the routine goes on, um, you'll be able to adjust to the routine and figure out what's the best times to come so that you can have the most hands-on time with your baby. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. So let's get into what are a few questions that parents should be asking the the care team, the neonatologist, while their baby's in the NICU? So I um, I love that question because I find that often the questions parents have are not the questions that we would have, we the medical team. And um, parents often ask um, relatively easy questions. They don't always ask the hard questions. And um, sometimes we're happy that you didn't ask the hard questions because then we didn't have to have a hard conversation. <laughs> but <laughs> usually... I tell my parents, you know, there are five questions that you should um, ask your medical team at least once a week. You know, you may not have to ask them every day if you get enough answers, because that's the way you're going to get the full lay of uh, what your team is focused on and what might be coming next. So the first question I usually say that parents should ask the medical team is, what are you most concerned about today for my baby? What are you concerned about? Because the parent may come in and say, hey, did they gain weight? You know, is their oxygen okay? And we'll say, yeah, they gain weight. The oxygen's fine. But if you say, well, what are you most concerned about, Dr. Kincaid? I might say, well, what I'm most concerned about is, you know, that the oxygen this week is a little higher than it was last week. But I think that that's related to reflux or something else. But if you don't ask me that, then I'm not going to say that. So what are you most concerned about today for my baby? The next question is, what medications are being given to my baby and why? So one of the things that's always surprising to me at night, if I'm called to talk to a family um, and I'm trying to explain to a family what's going on with their baby or some additional test that was run or if the baby's having um, some complications that may be related to a medication, I'll say, oh, well, your baby's receiving this medication. And sometimes when you receive this medication, we can see this. The parents will say, nobody told me my baby was getting this medication. I'll say, but your baby's been on this medication for two weeks. You know, 
because the ba- because a lot of times there are routine things in neonatology that we may not necessarily discuss every single thing. Um, but I would ask, hey, what medications is my baby on and why? Why are we on this medication? So, for example, caffeine. Caffeine is a very common medication in the ICU nursery. We use it for sleep apnea. And sometimes parents, even if we mentioned it in the beginning, they may forget. And so then later, if the baby has a higher heart rate, we may say, oh, that's because of the caffeine. They may not remember that the baby was receiving uh, caffeine. The next question is, when can I hold my baby? So we already talked about that. So sometimes parents are afraid to ask, but you know what? Sometimes we forget. We forget that you can hold your baby. And so You know, we haven't brought it up. So the nurses haven't brought it up. We haven't brought it up and you haven't brought it up. So sometimes a baby will be three, four weeks old, have no IV in their umbilical cord, very stable. And the mom will say, well, when can I hold my baby? Because the first week you guys mentioned, you know, that I couldn't like, oh my God, she hasn't been able to hold her baby. Let her hold her baby. (laughs) Ask because we may, we may have forgotten or we may um, have thought that you held the baby at another time because we're not there all the time. Um, a hard question parents, I think, should ask the medical team is, if this does not work, if this does not work, what are our other options? If this does not work? It's my favorite question. So I'm always surprised. If a parent asks me that on their own, I'm always encouraged to go there because I think one of the things that helps parent anxiety is to see what's next. So if you know what's coming next, you can plan for that. But if we just tell you all out of the blue, it's kind of hard to plan for that. And the last um, question is, do you anticipate any long-term complications from this illness or from this procedure? Um, if so, what? Because that's something that often at discharge, we're telling you all at once, oh, remember in week two when this happens? Well, this is why we're seeing this now. Remember in week three when this happened? This is why we're seeing this now. So I really like to hold the hands of parents on the journey And at each little milestone or each little signpost, I like to try to give them an idea of what may be coming um, and how we would address it. And I also like to give them an idea of what's next. I love that. Love that. This, I mean, this is fantastic advice. I I didn't quite get this level of care when (laughs) I had a new baby. So y'all, I am telling you, she is telling you outstanding information to help you if you do you know, unexpectedly find yourself with the yes. NICU baby. Yes, it's, those are my favorite peeps. The NICU and the NICU babies, those are my favorite peeps. 100%. And I remember the, the neonatologist, we um got transferred to a separate hospital in town because they needed space. Anyway, the neonatologist was like, y'all need to go out to the movies this weekend because your baby's coming home on Monday. And we were like, huh? Like, <laughs> I tell people that also, I'm like, guess what? Your baby's coming home. Well, we're not ready. The nurse <laughs> I'm like, this y'all last free weekend. Y'all better do what we're going to do. after this is 18 years. <laughs> oh, goodness. Love it, love it, love it. So speaking of babies leaving from the NICU, the NICU is actually, especially if your baby is premature, the first part of the journey. What happens to babies when they leave the NICU? Well, leaving the NICU, that's actually my second favorite part of the job. My favorite part of the job is going to deliveries. My favorite, favorite that just never gets old, um, being in a delivery when a new life comes into the world. Then my second favorite part was sending babies home. So sometimes a baby may have been there like five, six, seven, eight, nine months, 11 months. The longest I've had had a baby in the NICU was uh, one year and two days. Oh, my God. Um, and I'm telling you, sending them home is my favorite part. It's just, I mean, because it is what we live for. You've invested so much and now you get to take your baby home. So when you do get to take your baby home, if your baby was a bigger preemie, um, when I say bigger preemie, um, I mean 34 to 36 weeks, they may not have as many um, issues adjusting going home. Um, they, their development may be a little delayed and we'll talk a little bit about that, but they may not have as many medical issues. So I'm gonna split them in two categories. But if you had a smaller preemie, particularly if you had a micro preemie, um, when you go home, they may go home with oxygen. They may go home with a monitor if they have sleep apnea. They may go home with equipment. They may have a feeding tube. Um, they may have a breathing tube. It depends on what your baby actually goes home with. So if your baby goes home with any equipment, then normally you're going to go home with um, some nursing as well and then close follow-up. 
if your baby was just a preemie, um, not going home with any equipment, but just a preemie, then they still are going to need close follow-up. And we normally recommend you seeing your pediatrician early within the first week after leaving the ICU nursery. A regular term baby, we would say they could wait two weeks, but a preemie, we like you to be seen within the first week because we want your pediatrician to see you at your well state, how we sent you home. We want you, the pediatrician to see the baby in their best condition. Once you actually go home, depending on how small the baby was or how well the baby's eating, the pediatrician may see you every one or two weeks for weight checks until you can get through your first set of shots. In terms of keeping your baby healthy, we're in COVID now, so everybody's very focused on everything in terms of germs and hand washing and social distancing. But in the NICU, we were already doing that. In the NICU, we already had to put your cell phone in a Ziploc bag because cell phones are germ magnets. In the NICU, we always wash our hands constantly. In the NICU, we told you when you went home to keep your baby away from crowds. So when you first go home, I normally tell families, try to stay away from crowds until you get to the next set of shots. So that may be the two-month shots, the four-month shots, depending on how long they were in the NICU. And then even then, you want to try to minimize crowds. So the first crowds, most preemies are around. Usually people will take their baby to church. They may have a blessing. They may have a delayed shower. I tell them just to put a picture of the baby on the diaper bag and just say, hey, look like if you come to my house, the picture's on the door. Hey, yes, baby's here. We'll see you guys in four, six months. Oh, my goodness. Hey, so you made it this far in the episode and I'm thinking it's because you enjoyed this podcast. Well, if that's the case, then I have a favor to ask. Creating and producing the All About Pregnancy into Birth podcast has been one of the greatest joys of my life. I'm so grateful to have each and every one of you on this journey with me. Your support and engagement means the world to me, and it's what helps keep this podcast going. But here's the thing. Producing a podcast involves time, effort, and resources from recording equipment to an editor, hosting fees, coordinating guests, countless hours spent researching and crafting content. It all adds up. And that's where I could use your support. I've never wanted to turn all about pregnancy and birth into a paywall. I want it to remain accessible to everyone. That's why I've set up a way for you to support the show financially if you're able and willing. If this podcast has helped you during your pregnancy, your birth, or your life, I'm asking you to consider contributing to the show. Your support will help cover production and team costs and ensure that I can continue delivering the episodes you love. So in the month of March, head to drnicolerankins.com forward slash support and contribute whatever you can. Your support, no matter how big or small, makes a significant impact. It helps us continue delivering high quality content and ensures the future of all about pregnancy and birth. Again, that's drnicolerankins.com forward slash support. Thank you so much for being part of the All About Pregnancy and Birth community. Now back to the show. We do not, you do not, you do not want to come back to the NICU. And for us, we don't want you to be readmitted either. So I usually say avoid crowds. So if you go home in January, I said don't go out till after Easter. If you go home in the fall, do not go out until after the RSV season. So that means you're going to, November and Christmas, you need to keep your baby home with you. I so remember hand- that. The neonatologist was like, do oh, not. Right. She went home in December and, she, and the neonatologist said, do not let anybody touch your baby. I'm not playing. Yeah. Like, Because people, I mean, people will be, oh, the baby's so cute. And then somebody t- touch your baby face and now you in jail because somebody touched your baby. Like it is not. <laughs> Keep your baby covered, even in church. Keep the miniature hand sanitizers. Keep them on your diaper bag. Keep them on your um, infant carrier. People will come to your house and say, oh, my, I've had two or three kids. Girl, give me this baby. Let me hold the baby. No, because you do not want premature babies. Their immune system is fragile. A cold in a premature baby can easily turn into pneumonia, and they can easily end up having to be back on the oxygen. It is just not worth it. So your main goal when you bring them home is for them to grow, get stronger, have their immune system get stronger. And the best way to do that is just to keep them, minimize their contacts. And then the people who are around them, obviously strict hand washing, but you want to avoid crowds. And so the two 
Well, the three most common reasons a premature baby is readmitted into the hospital is one, infection, especially if you go home in the winter. RSV is a type of pneumonia that premature babies can get. An adult with RSV, it'll just look like the flu. But in a premature baby, they will get bronchiolitis. So pneumonia, RSV is the, one of the most common reasons premature babies are admitted. The second most common reason is a choking spell with a feed. Because even though they eat well, they still eat like a preemie. They gulp a lot. They have to be paced with their swallowing. The moms and dads know how to feed them very well. Grandma may know how to feed them too if she came to the NICU to learn. But other people generally don't know how to feed your preemie. So they will feed them like they would feed a term baby. And sometimes the babies will choke and turn blue because milk may get into the lungs. So infection like RSV or pneumonia a choking spill um, during a feed. And then the third reason they may get readmitted is poor weight gain. So they were eating well um, in the ICU nursery, but for whatever reason, when they got home, they just weren't eating as well, even when they we changed the calories and changed their formula. So they may have to come back and have an evaluation so that their weight gain is okay. Gotcha. So I can imagine in the area of COVID, all of these things are taken up to the, the next degree. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> Yes. Yeah. It's just like, it's like being, I mean, I have several Nikki moms whose kids are older now. I'm like, oh, we were doing that, you know, four years ago when we took our baby home. Because I mean, taking home a preemie, you really do have to do that. Right. 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 Um, in terms of going home, I wanted to say to remind the parents of preemies in terms of development, premature babies will develop based on their true due date. They will develop based on their true due date. I'm so glad you said that. They will develop based on their true due date. So if you have a baby that, if you had a baby who was 28 weeks, um, that's three months early. So just remember when your baby is a year old, your baby may be 12 months chronologically, okay, on paper based on their due date. But based on their birth date, their adjusted age, their corrected gestational age, they're only nine months. So when your kid is 12 months and you're, why isn't my baby walking? Their baby's walking. Everybody, the baby should walk by 12 months. Remember the corrected age is nine months. Some babies do walk at nine months, but most walk somewhere between 10 and 15 months. So just know that the walking, the talking, the rolling over, the sitting up, those things are going to develop based on their true due date. And so for a preemie, once you go home, we will allow for your prematurity generally until they get to be past age two. So till they get to be past age two. So 18 to 24 months, we're going to correct until 18 to 24 months corrected age. Okay. So they may be two and a half on paper, but they may really be two for the corrected age. We do not consider them delayed unless they have not caught up by then. And as a side note, I was a term baby who didn't walk till 15 months. I don't know why my mom wasn't concerned, but she was <laughs> She had had another baby that was a preemie that was walking before me and they were still carrying me. Okay. So oh my just, goodness. So just remember that because that's something a lot of NICU parents worry about when they go home is their development. And they're often comparing them to a term baby who was not premature or a baby who was not sick. Gotcha. Gotcha. Well, Dr. Terry, this was just a whole, I mean, I'm going to tell everybody, everybody needs to bookmark this episode, hold on to it just in case, because it is everything you need to know in order to feel better about what is a very difficult situation of having a baby in the NICU. Yes, 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 yes. Yeah, 100%. So just to wrap up, just a couple quick questions. What do you feel like is the most rewarding part of your work? Maybe you said it already. So I, um, the most rewarding part of my job, I would say, is meeting a family in the NICU who initially feels hopeless because of a loss of control or uh, because they're overwhelmed by worry or anxiety and helping that family navigate their NICU journey, um, become empowered and an advocate for their baby. So I say I give families the gift of hope. And so for me, that is the most rewarding part, looking into those eyes in the that very first time when I meet them and then seeing them a couple of weeks later and they're laughing, they're talking, they're get, telling me um, about their baby. I'm just seeing them become empowered, you know, in a situation where they felt hopeless, they gained some hope in a situation where they felt like they had no control, 
they gain some control. And so that for me is the most rewarding. Um, and then holding, I mean, when you hold a human in your hand, when you hold a human being that can fit in the palm of your hand, you're just like, my God. So that, that just never gets old. Even now, 21 years in, I get choked up. Somebody hands me a human that can fit in my hand. I just think, I, I can't overstate how much I love that you realize the importance of the emotional piece of having a baby and co- becoming a parent in general and being able to recognize that as you help moms through a difficult time is, is just so critical. Uh, and I'm going to be honest, not all neonatologists are like that. <laughs> it's such a big deal. And you know what? I, I always say um, I had been a pediatrician five years before I had my first child. And I had her during training and she just kind of had to get in where she could fit in because we really did not know what we were doing. I had read it. (laughs) I had read about all the stuff in the book, but just becoming a mom uh, made me realize how much of motherhood is related to intuition. But my second child had colic. He had some special needs. And I took my child to the ER, to the moms out there. I I had been a pediatrician almost 10 years when I had my son, I took my son to the ER almost every weekend because he would cry from midnight to five. Mm. It was like, okay, something is wrong. Something is wrong. I think he needs surgery. Can you do an x-ray? Can you look in his ears? They're like, Terry, he has colic. I'm like, oh my God, all the moms who I have said, look, babies cry. You need to deal with it. Like right. I want to find every mom. So when I am connecting with the mom in the NICU, I'm, I'm very clear uh, what it's like to feel helpless. I'm very clear what it's like to to want answers and not be receiving them. And I'm clear about how scary it is to not know what's next. So when my, my son didn't speak till he was age three, they actually thought he may be autistic. I was told my son would never learn and that he was unteachable. Now he's 19 now, a high school graduate, just finished his first year of college. But in that moment, hearing those words from a healthcare professional, I will never forget what that felt like. So when I meet parents in the NICU, I always connect on that um, level before we even get to the other stuff, Um, because I want them to know I see them and we're going to navigate this process. Even the families I have to provide hospice for, uh, probably in my 20 years, I've received more cards from families whose babies didn't survive, babies who survived because I validated the child for the time they were here, called their child by their name. And that's important. Absolutely. So on the flip side, what is the most frustrating part of your work? I think two things. So one of the things um, that's frustrating for me is um, we, you and I just talked about the emotional um, connection with families is that uh, for families whose NICU experience was more frustrating or caused them, em- it's already a lot of emotional duress to have a baby in the NICU. But to have your interaction with the medical team or have the care that is provided um, be provided in a way that doesn't make sense to the parent, uh, so it adds to their frustration, that's hard because if you have a baby that's going to be there three, four, five months, and we mess up the first day because you have a girl and we call them a boy because that happens, (laughs) the bonding is disrupted. And when you have to have hard conversations, you can't really have them because when it was stuff was easy, we didn't do a good job. So I try to focus really hard on the communication with families, with the medical team um, so that we can improve that. So that part is, is a little frustrating because I feel like parents have to go through so much. So it is our job to try not to add injury uh, to the stress if we can. 100%. I mean, if we can, I mean, sometimes you just can't, it's an ICU nursery, things are happening, it's an emergency, but I mean, a lot of times we most certainly can, like I mentioned the touch times, if the fee is supposed to be at 10 and mom gets there at 10.05, then we should still let her hold our baby. We shouldn't say, well, you missed it. You can't do it till one now. I mean, that's not. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) But the other thing is, um, you know, I do a lot of perinatal hospice and uh, palliative care. And, you know, a lot of things happen in the NICU unexpected. So that's a very hard part of the job, you know, when things are going really well and a baby's been very stable and they suddenly take a turn for the worse. That's always hard. Obviously, it's part of our job, but it's hard um, because nobody goes into medicine because they want to see patients die. We, we didn't write that on our medical 
school, you know, personal statement. I want to see, I didn't write, I want to see babies die. So um, that's a hard part of the job. So um, physician parent communication, um, trying to help them navigate the lay of the land, our rules and regulations with honoring their role as parents, um, and then helping families whose babies may not survive. Yeah, yeah. So what then is your favorite piece of advice to give to expectant, or I guess, parents who you meet in the NICU? What's your favorite piece of advice to give them? Um, my favorite piece of advice to give to parents is the NICU journey is a, is a marathon. It's not a sprint. We are going shift to shift. Don't ask me about next week. Don't ask me about next month. We're not talking about this shift. So if they could just get through this shift, we will worry about the next shift. We can get through this shift we'll worry about the next shift. So I usually tell parents to think of the NICU in terms of shift to shift and the journal and then find something positive that they can write down every day, even if their baby's having a bad day. Like the best thing that may have happened that day is that the baby pooped and you got to change a diaper. We're going to write that down. We celebrate poop in the NICU. So start journaling so that you can be able to reflect and tell um, your baby about the milestones. So when you got out of the incubator, when you got to do the first bath, when you got to hold for the first time, when you got to change the diaper, when you got the IV out, when you took the bottle for the first time. So, um, but shift to shift, because it's very scary to think about, oh my God, we're going to be here three months, four months, three days. Even if you have a big baby that's 10 pounds, that's because a mom had diabetes and the baby is only going to be there two weeks. That's still two weeks that the baby didn't come home with you. That's still two weeks that's different than what you planned for. So shift to shift day to day, try to remember those five questions. What are you worried about today, doc? Okay, great. If that's all you're worried about today, then I'm not going to worry about the other stuff either. And then find those moments of joy um, that you can celebrate. They know your voice. I tell the parents uh, and the dads, especially, if you talk to your baby while they were in the womb, they recognize your voice in the NICU. The babies will cry in the delivery room. And when the dad says, hey, baby, or the mom says, hey, baby, they stop crying. Like, oh, okay, I know that voice. I didn't know that. Okay, but I know that voice. And, you know, touch their fingers and toes, you know, count them, let their little fingers grab your hand. You can do it. You can do it. It's not what you're playing for, but you can do it. I love it, love it, love it. Thank you so much, Dr. Terry. This was such an incredibly informative interview. Where can people find you? You can find me um, at my website, uh, www.drterrymd.com, D-R-T-E-R-R-I-M-D.com, drterrymd.com. It's the same thing on uh, Facebook, Dr. Terry, M-D, D-R-T-E-R-R-I-M-D, as well as Twitter. On Instagram, it's a little different because there was already a Dr. Terry, M-D out there. Oh, I was like, oh, rude. I know, I was like, how rude. <laughs> <laughs> but um, and she's not a physician, but anyway, um, so on Instagram, the doctor is spelled out. So D O C T O R, Doctor Terry T R R I M D. Okay. That's where you can find me. Well, perfect. Thank you so much for coming on to the podcast. Like I said, I mean it. This is all the information that I wish I would have known uh, when I had a preterm baby. Just great perfect information to help the moms if they ever find themselves in the, the situation of having a NICU baby. Yeah. Oh, and I have, so for the moms who, can I share about my book? I, absolutely. Please do. Yay. Okay. So for moms um, who may find themselves in the NICU, I've written a very um, sharp book that I call um, Introduction to the NICU. It's called Early Arrival, Nine Things Parents Need to Know About Life in the ICU Nursery a doctor's step-by-step guide. It's only 90 pages. You can read it in one setting. There's a tons of books out there about life in the NICU, but most of them um, are two, three, 400 pages, and most of them are not easily digestible. But this book is really designed for the moms who I meet on bed rest. The OB has told me that they're going to have a preemie at some point soon. Um, and this is a book that can easily be read in the first week. So it talks about introduction to the NICU, talks about the five questions to ask your neonatologist, and it talks about the uh, five main medical issues that can happen in those first two weeks. Perfect, perfect. I did not know that that, that you had that book and that's who it's geared towards. I will be sure to recommend that for moms who are on their bed rest and craving information about what may happen with their baby. 
Right. It's the ones craving information that the OB has requested a neonatal consult. So it's very easy to read. You can read it in a couple of hours um, and get ready. Perfect. Perfect. Well, again, thank you so much for agreeing to come on the podcast. I so appreciate your time and um, we'll have to have you back. I know there are other things we can talk about as, as well. I feel like we kind of just scratched the surface. Yeah. I know. Thank you for having me. I love your podcast. Oh, thank your you. Tribe is my tribe. So. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Wasn't that a great episode? You can tell that her passion and commitment to families is deep. I hope all families have a neonatologist like Dr. Terry if they find their baby in the NICU. Now, after every episode where I have a guest on, I do something called Nicole's Notes, where I do my top three or four takeaways from the episode. And here are my Nicole's Notes from the episode with Dr. Terry Major Kincaid. Number one. Having a baby in the NICU, whether it's for a few hours, a few days, or months, is hard, plain and simple. It is hard. It is not what anyone expects. You expect to take your baby home with you. You don't expect that you're going to leave the hospital and not have your baby with you. Even if your baby's full term and just goes for a short time, you're just not expecting that it's going to happen. When my daughter was in the NICU, I cried just about every day. I finally limited myself to crying three times a day in order to try to help get through it. So just understand that having a baby in the NICU is hard. Now, point number two, which is kind of a corollary to that, is that it is okay, and I would say, in fact, necessary to grieve the loss of the experience that you had hoped for for your birth. So many times people will say, just be happy that you have a a healthy baby. So that may happen like after your baby is in the NICU and you know things are looking well. People may say things like that even after you have a full-term baby, but the experience didn't go exactly like you wanted. For example, say you ended up getting an epidural and you didn't want to get an epidural initially, or say you ended up having a cesarean birth. It is okay to grieve the loss of the experience that you had hoped for. As Dr. Terry mentioned, you know, one of the first things she says is, I know you don't want to be meeting me, and I know that this is hard and difficult and painful to meet me. And it is okay to give some space, and again, necessary to give some space to grieve the loss of the experience that you had hoped for. It doesn't mean that you're not appreciative that things ultimately end up going well. It just means we're human and you're allowed to feel upset about things. The key is you just don't want that to take away from enjoying the positive moment. So if you find that you are dwelling in that negative space, then you may need to ask for some help to get out of it. But definitely it's okay Take some time if you had a C-section and you weren't anticipating it, if you need to be induced and you weren't anticipating it, if your baby goes to the NICU and you weren't anticipating it, any of the things that may happen that you weren't expecting, it's okay to take some time and grieve that loss and at the same time be grateful that you're healthy and your baby's healthy. And then the third point I want to make is that this process of advocating for yourself and your baby and asking questions. The process that Dr. Terry described, this is just the beginning of what it's going to be like as a parent. And really learning to first start advocating for yourself during your pregnancy and your birth, that will help you to advocate for your child. So really just get comfortable, start educating yourself Know the information that you need in order to advocate for yourself and your birth. And again, that will help you advocate for your child, not just as a baby, but that's going to be the case throughout your child's entire life, really. And I have a great resource to help you get educated so that you're able to advocate for yourself during your birth. That's the birth preparation course. It's my online childbirth education class to ensure you are knowledgeable, prepared, confident, and empowered to have a beautiful birth. You can check that out at ncrcoaching.com forward slash enroll. 
Okay, so that's it for this episode of the podcast. Be sure to subscribe to the podcast in Apple Podcasts, Spotify, wherever you're listening to me right now. And I would love it if you leave a review in Apple Podcasts. I give shout outs from those reviews on episodes and it helps the show to grow, helps other women find the show. I so appreciate it when you take time to leave that review in Apple Podcasts in particular. Also, I know I talked about the birth preparation course, but I also have a free online class on how to make a birth plan. This is great information to help you make your birth wishes. Women love this class. You'll learn two of the most influential factors in your birth and how to ask questions so you understand those two factors. You'll get what to include in your birth wishes, how to get your doctors and nurses to pay attention. It's a free on-demand class offered every day. You can sign up for that class at NCR coaching.com forward slash register. All right. Next week on the podcast, it will be a birth story episode. So do come on back next week. And until then, I wish you a beautiful pregnancy and birth. Thanks so much for listening to this episode of the All About Pregnancy and Birth podcast. Head to my website, ncrcoaching.com, to get even more great info, including free downloadable resources on how to manage pain and labor and warning signs to look out for after birth. You'll also find information on my free online class on how to make a birth plan, as well as everything you need to know about the birth preparation course. Again, that's ncrcoaching.com, and I will see you next week. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.